0: What up, witches? Thanks for downloading our podcast. This one is coming out on Halloween, and it's our analysis of episode four called Fearful Pranks Ensue. Holler at us if any of you are dressing as a manator or myrtle snow for Halloween. That would be pretty sweet. As always, we're on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash this American Horror Story Podcast. And we're on iTunes. Give us a review there if you can. Thanks. Good morning, everybody, and happy Halloween. Welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host, Chris Husted. Happy Halloween to everyone and to you, Tyler. Unless it's not Halloween, then hope you had a good one. Yes, otherwise we hope you had an excellent one, but for us, it is Halloween morning. We are coming off a... Uh, night of American Horror Story, and uh, sipping some coffee here this morning while we discuss it. What kind of coffee are you drinking? Yeah, caribou coffee. That's exciting. With... I know that's <laughs> as exciting, exciting. As Yeah, caribou coffee with a little bourbon. Just kidding. Just straight up coffee and hazelnut creamer. What sounds about you? Good. I'm actually. I am drinking hazelnut coffee as well. It's uh, I guess it's that kind of morning. Um, crazy episode. All sorts of fun stuff to talk about. Um before we dive in I would like to as always remind everybody to check us out on iTunes this American Horror Story podcast. To like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash this American Horror Story podcast and to send us comments, questions, etc. at this American Horror Story at gmail.com. Um, this past week, as we were just talking about before the podcast started, we got all sorts of great feedback and input from you guys on e- through email and on Facebook. Um, Chris, talk about some of the yeah, responses we got. Yeah. Man, some, you, some of you guys are kind of crazy with your theories in a great way. Like your minds are going even far or further than I was thinking. Uh, But it was amazing reading them. And we're trying to get back to as many of you as we can when we, when we respond. Um, But keep them coming, man. I love it. You, you, you've given us new ideas to talk about during our podcast. Also, um, one of the biggest questions we asked was, do you think uh, Madison Montgomery was killed intentionally or not? Uh, And, well, Tyler, you talk about it, because apparently everyone agrees with you. Well, that was our big question, is whether or not Fiona had premeditated the killing. And a lot of people seem to agree that, yes, it was premeditated because um, of when Fiona poured out her drink at the bar um, and then ended up basically pretending to be drunk back at home. A lot of people thought that that kind of indicated that she had planned to kill her all along. We also had um, some people that suggested that Fiona hadn't necessarily planned to kill her the entire time, but it kind of came down to whether or not Madison had the strength to to kill Fiona. And if she didn't, then Fiona had planned to grab the razor and slaughter her right there. So we kind of had um, a few differing opinions, but generally people believed that you know the killing was, was premeditated. And I think that that um, kind of... Part of where that came from is just after seeing how easy it was for Fiona to kill the former Supreme, to kill, you know, that that doctor that um, she was getting. The, I mean, she clearly has no scruples about just mindlessly killing another person. So. I still think I'm right, and she did it in the heat of the moment. Sorry. No, not sorry. Sorry, I'm not sorry. <laughs> Hashtag. Well, you know what? You're entitled to your opinion, even if it is a wrong one. Um, and with that, I would like to uh, dive into this week's episode, which is, of course, a Halloween-themed episode called "Fearful Pranks and Sue." Um, let's just take a moment to appreciate how great that title is and how it fit in with Madame Lalaurie's kind of Halloween rant she went on for a second. Talk about that. <laughs> yeah that was great she that's how we get the title is from her uh anticipation of the rituals that have to be done on Halloween uh because is harvest already over she says which is great uh and she talks about uh how they ha- she's like, well, I'll get the bonfire started and uh we'll get the offerings or the sacrifices or whatever to keep the evil demons uh away and uh and then uh, as, as Fiona tells her, "No, actually, instead of bonfires, we do um, jack lanterns, and instead of uh, offerings, we pass out candy." <laughs> uh, yeah. But but then uh, Lilari does say when she's describing what she's going to do, and fearful pranks ensue. Yes, and I thought that was like like a, a great she, and very appropriate title. She's um, having fun with that character, man. I, even though it's kind of her story arc's kind of bizarre right now, she's I, every time she comes on screen, I get pretty excited. I'm excited to talk a little bit more about her later. Uh, but let's dive in right to the opening scene here. Uh, right. Really kind of a dark and sad, really sad um, opening scene. We see uh, it's a young African-American boy in 1961. Um, we, of course, have the the colored lenses that are so typical of American Horror Story to indicate a different time period. You know, kind of the filters on the camera. Uh, and we see him get chased down on his bike and... Um, Cornered ends up getting lynched, really. And we find out that um, he is the son of um, someone who, we were debating this, whether uh, we're not, we couldn't remember whether she works for Madame uh, or Marie Laveau or whether she she works for her or if she was a client or one way or another. But it was um, someone who you know, a woman who was at Marie Laveau's salon and basically said that she was sending her son to the white high school for the first time. It was a period of integration. Brand new, um, brand new integration, yeah. As a Age. woman who believed in the future, mm-hmm. JFK is president now. Things are going to be different. Things are going to change. Marie Laveau, actually, we forgot to mention this before when we, you and I were just talking. Marie Laveau at this point was kind of uh, skeptical. Um, yeah, um, sure. You know, w- yeah, she was. She, was she was judging that that um, that idea that the future uh, things will be better. Right, and then we see. Yeah, we see. We cut to this black and white scene of the big tree with um the the mom pulling the boy down from the tree. I I actually I didn't expect it to go this far. I thought that maybe he was just going to get like Beat really up. beaten. Yeah. Um but I mean it was super dark and sad and um I it's mean what, reminder, did you, what do you think? It's a reminder yeah. you're watching American horror story cuz they will go there. They certainly will. What did you think was the um about the use of the black and white? Camera? Right. So in the beginning the opening uh, image of the beauty shop looks fun, lively, music lots of colors, popping colors everywhere uh, and then we cut immediately to black and white for the lynching sequence and to me uh, that that decision suggests um, uh, you know the period uh, an, an antiquated period where something dark and old old world happened that shouldn't be happening in modern times which is these race these the race relations that were just awful and uh, um, one race thinking they're superior than the other. Uh, the other thing is you know that this shows is literally we went to a black and white uh, sequence here between blacks and whites. So that was you know the literal choice I guess to use when you're uh, depicting something as awful as a lynching uh, but that, that I think props I would give I believe to the director of this episode who is Michael Uppendahl who, has done a few of these um, has done a few American horror story episodes before, but props to him he did a lot of great stuff this uh in the, the in in this sequence as well as in the rest of the episode absolutely. I thought that he did an excellent job directing were um, some really great interesting choices of camera angle and color and all that kind of stuff that I really appreciated um and of course we go from the scene of the lynching to uh, Marie Laveau. Doing kind of a voodoo spell. Her typical chalk on the ground. She pulls out all kind of her weird animal parts. She's starting. She cuts open these snakes. I don't know where she gets all these snakes or all these feathers <laughs> and snake teeth and stuff like that. Snake farm. Snake depot. Is that what we said earlier? Snake te- uh, voodoo oh, yeah. warehouse. Voodoo Sorry. warehouse. That's it. the warehouse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, voodoo discounters and. Uh, of course, I also wanted to mention the like the guy playing the bongos in the background. <laughs> like, I just thought that was hilarious, and he's also I'm sorry. I know it was obviously a very dark and sad scene, but it just that kind of made me laugh. This that he's just playing the bongo in the corner, and he's also doing it later when she brings the dead back to life. And I was wondering, like, yeah. would she just like look up like bongo guy on Craigslist and just have him come over, and, like, yeah, do it in her, yeah. Like, <laughs> But she does the spell, brings the dead back to life. We see zombies. Of course, we've already seen... Wait, is it like a Craigslist ad? Like, hey, looking for a bongo player for our band. Bongo player for voodoo ceremony. Um, Please call. (laughs) No pay, just clubs. That's right. Must be able to wash hair. We'll pay in alligator teeth. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, uh, we see zombies. She brings the dead back to life, and they go and slaughter these racist dudes, which... Um it was pretty gruesome but did not bother me at all cuz these assholes totally deserved it. True. And I, I thought the zombies were intense. Um and we we're talking yeah, about these... this, they looked almost more demon like uh than um kind of maybe the zombies you'd see on a show like The Walking Dead. Right. They're not or your standard uh, Romero uh zombies. These guys had glazed over like icy eyes and they they were they looked more demon-esque, for sure. For sure. And didn't you tell me that there was something appropriate yeah. about the fact that this director was doing this episode? Right. Michael Uppendahl also has directed an episode of The Walking Dead, so he knows how to do his zombies. But he still like it didn't like it was completely different. It was stylized in a different way, which was fantastic. I love it. It was stylized it. in a different way, but they, they still they looked excellent. They did. Yeah. So was American Horror Story if American Horror Story did the Walking Dead sequence where zombies overran the farm. Absolutely. Um, And so, you know, we always do these... We always talk about these opening scenes and how they kind of set the mood or set the tone or indicate a theme for the rest of the episode. What do you think this particular scene or series of events was trying to indicate? Right. I think this sets up um, tension between two groups, not whites and blacks, per se, even because that's what we get in the first sequence, but this battle between two different groups... I think is setting the tone for the two groups that were leading the whole next, the rest of the episode leads into, which is Laveau versus Fiona. Good. What did you mm-hmm. think? I absolutely agree. I think that after all the intense stuff that happened last episode with the Minotaur, with Madison, and everything, we needed something to ramp up the tension of this episode immediately, which it is very successful at doing. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and like you said, I think it's important to note that obviously the conflict between Fiona and um, Laveau is not race-related. I mean, I think, like, uh, Fiona even mentions in a past episode that she hates racists, There's nothing basically. more she, she... Yeah, she doesn't hate anything more than a racist. Well, and it's only race-related in the fact that I think the reason Laveau is pissed, basically, is because we brought the horrible racist Madame LaLaurie back to life. Yeah. Or, or Fiona did. Um, but, I mean, you do have... I mean, a... You know, a versus... Instead of race relations, it's... Quotes around this white magic versus black black magic being you know voodoo magic. I don't really know what white magic would be either, but it, it, that's kind of the way they juxtapose it or try to set it up. Um, and so, like, it, it, I think that's a good point. You know, ramping up the tension, setting up the conflict that was obviously going to pervade this entire episode. So we go through a credit sequence and we cut to a opening scene with some creepy ass dolls. Um, Peering down from all these different shelves. All sorts of different dolls. Yeah, who did you think it was? Whose room did you think it was? I did not know at first. I I almost thought for a second that maybe this was Bible-thumping Patty LaPone next door that she had. um, Good call. I would have guessed. I mean, I didn't guess, but that would have made sense. I thought maybe she was just bizarre and had all these shelves of, like, you know, precious moments Dolls sitting and peering down on her as she reads the Bible or something like that, but of course it is not. Um, who did you think it was? I didn't really try to guess, but once I once we uh, found or see that it's Argus Filch, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Spalding, <laughs> uh, it 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 made total sense. It's like okay, of course it's him. He's a little creepy too. Yeah, clearly he has some issues, but um, definitely made his character more interesting this episode obviously we got a lot of backstory on him um but he hears a noise downstairs he's about to eat dinner with all these dolls watching it goes downstairs and basically we redo the scene where we see madison die but this time kind of from spalding's perspective i love this this was great you know we automatically know what's happening in the other room because you can kind of hear well you don't automatically know but once argus why not do that again uh, when Spalling. Spalding starts he hears it and he starts creeping down the hallway which was shot beautifully with that long hallway and the dolly as it goes with him and the point of view as it goes toward the door with the fire coming through the door and everything else dark you know what's happening in the other room we're reliving that, that sequence that we uh, almost essentially ended with last week but we're getting it from a different perspective and I love it when directors or writers do this so we can see it from uh, a different angle not only a different angle like geographically or physically, but from someone else's perspective and how they interpret what's happening, right? And then we take exactly. I thought that was a really cool, unique tool. And then we take the story um, a little bit further. We kind of see the the direct aftermath. We um, see Spalding pour a drink for Fiona, um, and. She kind of goes, you know. She's. It seems like she's kind of justifying, maybe both to Spalding and to herself, why she had to do it. That's um, why I think. No, see, I think she's justifying it because she didn't mean to do it. She's so she's rationalizing her head. Well, she wasn't strong enough. Well, I'm. I'm the one who's only able to do this right now. I really, I really think that still. I. I don't know. I. I felt like maybe you know, her even though she intended to do it the whole time, that she like. She still has a little bit of humanity left, as we've seen a few times, and so it's like she has to she has to justify it to herself in her head after she does it. Still, but I I could see how you would think that. Um, but she talks her face about you so know drained her. I don't know. Well, Ryan Murphy, write in and let us know what what you what you think. What your intention was here? Yeah, please do. But um, we do. She does talk about you know how it was her duty to stay vital to the coven and um. Stuff like that, especially at this point when they're kind of on the brink of war and that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, And then she tells Spaulding that she, of course, appreciates their conversations, especially since he had his tongue cut out. Um, Then there's a crash in the other room. Spaulding is going to take care of Madison and Fiona goes to see what it is. And that's where we basically catch up with Queenie Queenie. from last episode. Right. Did you, you know, we find out she's alive. She's alive, but she was gored by the Minotaur, basically. Which um, we kind of had a feeling that that's what was happening, or something like the Minotaur was going to do something to her think, in the last episode because they kind of had it going on for a second, and then we right. made, made a very aggressive move to like grab her head. Uh, so here's my question for you on with with Queenie and the aftermath of what happened. Is it to me? It was implied that she was raped. Oh, what did you think? I did not um I did not think about that but I would not put it past them considering all the rape we've already had thus far um in this season. I just thought she got gored in the stomach or something like that, but that mm-hmm. would make more sense because that would be a lot more difficult wound to heal. Um yeah. anyway. So I'm not entirely sure. Huh. Uh but that's an interesting point that I hadn't thought about. Um I do think that they they bring her up to the bedroom and Cordelia and Fiona have an argument basically about who is at fault for what happened to Queenie. And I wanted to ask you, so basically the arguments are this, are these that Cordelia says Fiona is at fault for basically starting a conflict with, um, Laveau. 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 And Fiona says Cordelia is at fault for showing that they, the coven was weak basically by going and asking her for, for magic. Um, and so that's why, you know, she decided they we can have to lash out at him. Which do you, which do you think, who do you think was at fault for this? Fiona or Cordelia? Uh, I think Cord, uh, I'm sorry. I think Fiona was because she went to go, you know, rub in her return and her power. And at least Cordelia came from a place of honesty and humble Humility, I guess. I don't know. Who do you... Well, no, I do. I I do think it's Fiona's fault. Whose fault do you think it is? I I agree with you. I think it's Fiona's fault. Especially because, not only because she obviously went there with the explicit intention of pissing off Laveau, but she also went there to tell her about the fact that LaLaurie was back out of the grave, basically. Um, And that's the reason the Minotaur came in the first place. And so... It's her fault for keeping Lalori hanging out until she can figure out, apparently, what is keeping her alive. Um, and then we see Fiona, a new power that we hadn't seen before. She breathes vitality into Queenie. And it also seemed to it almost seemed to like drain a little bit of her youth to do that. Did, or yeah, her, or, I, I think she was giving up a little bit of something. I, I got that vibe, too. I, I couldn't see it, but it, I felt it. C- just because she looked so strained afterward. So, right. I and I and I assumed we'd seen her suck youth out of somebody before. So, I was thinking maybe she can suck life out of somebody, but she could also breathe life back into somebody. Kind of well, and it, I mean, it, so she has a little bit of necromancy power, too. Because if you know, if she has Obviously. all the powers, right, and she would have that power of necromancy a little bit as well. Um, Madame Lalori, we also see a little bit of her, um, mm. softening here when she says that Queenie's sacrifice, uh, she well, first of all, she's hiding in um Fiona's closet which is kind of a funny moment um but then she she's thankful for Queenie's sacrifice and she has, basically i she i think she's starting to turn a new over a new leaf here yeah although i think it's a little late for that after all the shit she's done but um that's debatable uh back to Laveau Salon. Well, okay. So an important note is that LaLaurie says, "Well, what if the Minotaur comes back?" And Fiona says, "It, it won't." And like she uh-huh. says, it with some certainty that you kind of figure, okay, she did something. She handled it, and she did. Back at Laveau Salon, a box shows up, and it has the Minotaur. The Minotaur's Seven. severed head. That's still like blinking and moving, by the way. So it's not like it's obviously it's enchanted. So it's not like it's dead. Um. So I'm ass- like, that was a power play. Ass- Balls in your court, Lavo. I guess we assume at one point that um, like Bastian's head like uh, fused with the Minotaur head, so it really obviously became his he's head like hundreds of years old too. <laughs> right, and so they cut off the head, and it was obviously like both his head inside the Minotaur's head. I was kind of curious what it looked like underneath, but that would have been a little bit gross, so I'm glad we didn't go there. It also looked way smaller in the box than it did when it was actually on his head, I want to say, too. But gross. That was very much like a... That was a Boardwalk Empire moment, or something like that, when a box shows up with someone's body parts in it. Or Seven. Remember the movie Seven? Or... Yes, or definitely Seven, too. Um, something out of, like, a mob-criminal-mastermind movie. Um, which I guess you could kind of see parallels between... Uh, Fiona Who's texting and- you? Sorry, I'll put my phone elsewhere <laughs> <laughs> No, really not, who's texting you? Uh, it was my girlfriend texting me Saying, <laughs> but she's interrupting our podcast So, she can <laughs> Stephanie, what's up with that? Come on She can wait Um <laughs> Now, I want to talk very briefly I think this is the only point we actually even see Hank, uh Oh, no, I wasn't even going to talk about that. Oh. that. So there's a lot of, a lot of obviously, very interesting storylines, none of which really this touch each other. episode's all over the gonna, place. Yeah, Right, that we're going to talk about kind of one after another. First one I'm going to talk about is, um, we're just going to touch on this really briefly, because we don't really go into it much, is Kyle and Zoe. Oh, I don't even um, want to... They're so boring. <laughs> that was... No, I, I don't, don't know why that scene was even in this episode. I think it was just supposed to depict, just supposed to let us know that Zoe doesn't know where Kyle is anymore, basically. He we escaped. could have had that. And last and episode. A that he escaped and B that she doesn't want him alive anymore. That she regrets bringing him back to life. She was going to give him a bowl of cereal mixed with rat poison. Was she or was she just considering it? Oh, I thought she totally was. You, you don't think, think so? so? No, that I mean we don't actually see it happening so but we see the opportunity for it, but we don't know if she does it or not. Oh, I, I, okay. That's You, you thought she was, for sure. I I for sure thought she was, because see, after I, this. Tyler, I just see the good in people. I, you know, Fiona didn't mean to kill Madison. Zoe wasn't going to kill Kyle. Why are you such a negative person? Oh, uh, I, it's all on me, man. I, I'm a pessimist. <laughs> Maybe it's the dark spirit of Halloween inside of me or something <laughs> like that, but I, I am prone to see the worst in people, clearly, um. But hey, our listeners agree, so I guess we're just all pessimists inside. You are the An angel. outlier. <laughs> the, the angel outlier. I'm the one that kind of is getting on board with Lilari. Yeah, like you're starting to feel like she's turning a new leaf, even though What's she right was a horrible me? person that had a racist dungeon. I'm going soft in my old age. That's one word for it. <laughs> um... So, let's talk, yes, for a minute about Hank. This is the next storyline we'll kind of follow and be done with. Um, so, Hank, Hank invites a babe over. He's in Baton so Rouge. For, well, first of all, oh, so okay, so he's in Baton Rouge. Um, he travels a lot for his job. He's a U.S. District Attorney, I believe no. they say. oh. No, U U.S. Department of Agriculture. <laughs> oh, okay. He's a USD Oh, yeah. He's not USDA. a VA for the United States. Yeah. <laughs> he is a. He's an he inspector. He works for the USDA. DA. Okay. Yeah, that's what I. That's how I took it. But I also work in agriculture a lot for reporting. So that would make that would make more sense because. Um, but so, he's in Baton Rouge and has a girl show up. We basically find out that he cheats on uh, Cordelia, Cordelia, who of course he's currently trying to have a baby with also he knows she's a witch which means like you think he'd be a little worried about her getting pissed off yeah. um but we see he invites like, uh, the younger maid over remember she was the lady she played the younger uh francis conroy that's right she played yeah. the sexy maid yes. in season one that seduces um, dylan mcdermott absolutely and uh the sex scene they have is kind of creepy like he's really freaky he's into it yeah yeah Um, He 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 was acting gross and freak like he was acting freaky the entire time. You could kind of feel like he was going to do something. So they obviously had the creepy sex scene. It's an agreat like I mean it wasn't rape, but all these a lot of these sex scenes that they do verge on that almost. I mean, it was about dominance clearly is what it kind of felt like. Yeah, Um, we haven't had a normal sex scene on this show at all. It's either been rape or. Or for a ritual, <laughs> or mm-hmm. or overly aggressive, almost violent. Right, and we see him talking about, or then she's talking about how her Halloween is her favorite holiday, how it kind of people, it gives people the permission to be who they want to be. And I think right there also, I, you kind of got the fact that we were hinting that we're seeing the real Hank, is kind of how I perceived yep. that. She asked him, what okay. were you last year? And he says a monster, and we find out that he is a monster. Um, they start talking; that uh, they met on a forum for people who collect Thomas Kincaid paintings. I love that th- that's pictures. Great. Like, that I thought that, that, was, re- that was so crazy. weirdly specific. Yeah, oh, I mean, it's funny. It's like guy, I, guys like you—you you know, most guys I meet online want to see my boobs after talking for ten minutes. That, or yeah, something like that. <laughs> that's also great. The 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 writing dialogue here is pretty great. Jennifer Salt is the is getting the credit for writing this episode so good for her and then he pulls out a gun and shoots her in the head <laughs> um i do want to point out that she has called him like 007 a few times in this sequence because he's been very secretive and of course his pistol has a giant silencer just like right james Bond would right. um were you like me and just kind of said uh what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> as soon as this happened. This was out of nowhere. So, I, I mean, I kind of took it as, remember in Asylum where, like, like all this shit was getting thrown up against the wall, and was just I thought they were just trying to figure out what sticks. Because it comes out of nowhere. Like, all of a sudden, Raspers, all of a sudden, aliens, like, you know, what's happening? All of a sudden, Cordelia's husband is a serial killer. <laughs> Okay, here's another. Do you have any theories about like what his motives are, what he's doing? I don't mean? yet, and I was trying to figure that out. I, I was pretty blindsided by it because they, they kind of introduce him as initially as his kind of caring husband that is trying to work with his wife on having a baby. And we do. I would do want to note that later um, we find out that Fiona does not like Hank; that she thinks he is full of bullshit. Right. And so she obviously, as the Supreme, has a sense. Probably, well, you think she'd be able to read his mind and know that he was a shitty yeah, person. Yeah, I um, mean, obviously she knows something's up, but why can't she just know? Yeah, maybe there's a limit. So, yeah. So for some reason, he kills this innocent, young, unsuspecting girl. So maybe he's just like a sick murderer. I guess. I mean, we'll find we'll, out. Obviously, I'm sure we'll learn more. But I, I don't have any real theories about it either yet, because it would just seem so out of left field. Um, definitely did not see that coming, but we have another, I mean, maybe he's another kind of bloody face style, um, anti woman, you know, misogynist, um, murder, you know, right in the same, the same vein. So kind of let's return to what I would consider our primary plot of this episode, which is kind of spliced between a modern day investigation of. Fiona and her interactions and a kind of parallel back when um, Annalise, was that the name of the... Anna, Anna Lee. Anna Lee, which was the Anna. name of the Supreme that came before Fiona, who right. Fiona murdered, murdered, as we know, last episode. So, let's start with the history a bit. Madame Laveau made peace with Anna Lee, uh, what they say, like 30 years ago or something like that, um, back when there was a voodoo war. Uh, between the voodoo witches and the salem witches and they had to finally come to terms of peace Um, and of course that was a point at which um laveau was seen as sort of a hero for um, bringing the clans together but now after what happened to Bastion and with Madame Mademaluri bringing back to life and stuff she's ready to completely we see this conversation she has with um, I guess her co-worker who we also assume is a witch um, at least I assume she was a witch or in the know at, le- at least knows what's going on um, that there, she's going she's ready to completely wipe this truce clean because otherwise she thinks that they're going to be slaughtered so this is going to be a fight to the death is what it seems like mm-hmm. at this point Uh, Back at Robichow's, we have Nan. Uh, We find out Nan summoned some guests because she cannot hear Madison's voice anymore, Um, which means she thinks something happened to Madison. She thinks Madison's dead. So she summoned um, representatives of the Salem Witch Council, Council. right? Yeah, yep, yep. We have have a, a warm welcome back to Frances Conroy, who is, her character's name is Myrtle Snow. And Myrtle is Mm -hmm. awesome. And then we also have Leslie Jordan playing Fiona Good's biggest fan. (laughs) Yes. best-selling author. And we have uh, someone named Pembroke. Pembroke, yeah. Who just takes notes. Yes. Who's like the recorder, the main recorder, basically. But we find out immediately that Myrtle Snow, Francis Conroy, and Fiona are like pretty much old rivals back from when they both went to Miss Robichauxs together. Right. Um, Myrtle absolutely hates Fiona. Um also, also I thought that okay, I think let's talk for a minute. I think Frances Connor was the MVP of this episode because I thought she was incredible. She's amazing. Yeah. So, so different from characters she's done the past 2 seasons. So I, different. I loved it. Yeah, she got to play over the top kind of this, you know, impassioned woman where in the past she's played more of a subtle character with the exception of when she was um the bad, badass bitch in, uh, in the cell block. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, yeah, she definitely wins this episode, I think. So it was great. Yes, mm-hmm. And so basically they have this argument over whether or not, you know... Myrtle Snow accuses Fiona of having killed Madison just like she'd killed Anna, Anna Lee Lee. years ago, even though that was never proven. Right. So they're basically going to kind of interview everybody and have a, have a trial. Basically, I love that happen. the way they do this sequence too. Where, and this is one of the things I loved a lot about this episode is I feel like we visit every single room at Miss Rubbish shows uh, in this in this you know episode. Everyone gets interviewed in a different room. Uh, we also previously we you know when we find Queenie, she's in the uh, like greenhouse or something like that or wherever that is. We we've, we we've visit a lot of the places in this room, enough that I'm loving this house so much it's becoming one of the characters, just like the asylum became a character uh, in the previous episode, and Murder House was a character. The location's been awesome. Anyway, I love that she bounces around and hits all the of the people living in the house, asking them what they know. Exactly, and we have Nan saying that... Um, Madison had had some new powers recently, like she lit in the cur- she you know lit the curtains on fire over at Patty LaPone's house. Right. We see um, Queenie saying that she was a total party girl and she probably got like killed giving a handjob to some guy right. in a street corner. <laughs> I'm pulling up that quote that was I wrote that down. Queenie Queenie had the best lines for sure of the episode. She did. That was some sass coming from her. Uh, um, I think she deserves to have a little attitude after everything that she's gone through. I would say. Um, and we have a flashback, too, to a younger Fiona being kind of interrogated but mainly just questioned about Annalie dying. And we have her lying about it and saying that Annalie disappeared with a fine bottle of wine. Um, Lie. Back when she died. And, and we see Fiona, young Fiona, being crowned the new Supreme back in, I don't remember, what, the 70s? Is that when that was supposed to take place? Yes, the 70s. Madison, okay, sorry, real quick. Madison Montgomery is a stone cold bitch who loves hard drinking, big dicks, and trouble. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. She did have some excellent quotes this episode. If she's dead, it's probably because she got wasted and offered the Grim Reaper a handjob or something. (laughs) That that, this episode did have some good writing. The writing is definitely improved from episode one, where it was full of witch cliches. Right. So I've, I think, I think we have definitely ramped it up. Right. Anyway, sorry Um, to interrupt that. Let's get back where we were. Well, okay, so setting the scene back in the 70s, we see young Fiona getting Queen, the new Supreme. We see um, young Myrtle, um, who we find out her power is like the power of truth, basically. She can force people to tell the truth, it sounds like. Veracity and vernacular. Yeah. And so she is convinced, of course, that Fiona... Um, did kill Annalie, so she is going to enchant the tongue of Spaulding, the only person who could have potentially witnessed what happened, so that way when he gets interrogated by the council the next day, he reveals that Fiona actually did it. Exactly. Of course, we then find out, you know, we have the scene where everyone rushes over to see, we hear, you know, Spalding screaming and moaning from the bathroom, where his tongue is cut out and lying on the floor, which is gross but like very well shot scene yeah we get it from um, above and it's very much implied that Fiona was the one that cut the tongue out mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah because she wanted a you know self preservation uh, Before, and of course before we, we know what happens next also to, to become the supreme they do talk about finally kind of what some of these seven wonders are that you have to do to um, become the a the supreme um, they discuss transformation they discussed pyrokinesis um, I'm assuming that one of the others is necromancy. I mean, they don't say all these. I'm just kind of you know theorizing what some of the other things we see are that We've they didn't seen talk already. about. Right. Um. So I'm assuming necromancy is one. What is it that they call? Um. Oh, telek- telekinesis is telekinesis. probably one moving things with your mind. So that'd be about four. I wonder if uh, vagina slaughter is one. Is one of them. <laughs> Again, I think vagina slaughter is it somehow is something that's pretty awesome, but it's not just vagina slaughter. Like It's just something that hasn't manifested. Like It might be necromancy. Yeah. It's going to be something else that's y- unique to Zoe. Um, anyway, so we, we get a little insight on what these seven wonders are. I, um, if anybody has – I think this would be a fun thing. If you think you know what some of the other seven wonders are, post them on our Facebook wall or send us an email and we'll kind of read out what everyone theorizes or the, the rest of the seven wonders. Or what you would um, want them to be. Or what you would want them to be. That'd be kind of fun, too. But back to the scene. We're back to the modern day. Um, basically, Myrtle Snow calls Spalding again to the stand um, to rat out Fiona, who she believes, of course, mutilated Spalding back in the day for potentially telling the truth. So she says, write down on a piece of paper who it was that was responsible for getting your tongue cut out what she probably should have said is who is responsible for killing Annalie or who is responsible yeah. for killing madison so but she's hung up she's hung up on that uh on that incident on that moment so very poor phrasing here and of course who does spalling right in the paper myrtle snow Oh, and sorry. And, and why is that? Tell us. We get a flashback and find out what really. Right, happened. we do. We get the flashback and we see um, that Spalding actually overhears a young Myrtle telling the girl next to her what she did to uh, Spalding's tongue, and Spalding meets with um, Cordelia uh, in the bathroom late night and tells Fiona. her. I'm sorry, Fiona. Yeah, thank you. Uh, late night and tells her his last words are, I, I love you, or I'm in love with you, which is creepy, because he's, you know, even then he's, like, 40-something, I would guess, and she's a teenager, Ugh. um, and then he pulls out the, uh, or he, he already had the straight razor pulled out, he pulls it out, pulls his tongue, and he goes, flop, and then blood splatters across the, uh, mirror, he goes, ah! Yeah, so he cuts his own tongue out, basically, yeah. because he doesn't want to rat on him. Fiona. He's in love with Fiona. Um it is super creepy, but at the same time it's kind of like uh we already know he had issues, so it's not necessarily surprising. Right. And this is the only I guess way that we could justify him covering up her tracks mm-hmm. is that he's in love with her. But that's also kind of I mean it's not a cop out. It is a legit reason, but it's an easy mm-hmm. reason. <laughs> also, parallels to the first season where he Obviously, did um, his mm. character, Larry, did terrible things when he was in love with um, Jessica Lange's character. Um, Const- um, Constance. 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 Yeah, Constance, Constance Lange did in the first season. Yes. So, interesting parallel there as well. Um, And so, Myrtle completely freaks out, which is where I really thought that Frances, Frances Connor's acting was excellent. Yes. Just like the, the talent she does. I love was, it. She's great at cute. this. And Cordelia comes to Fiona's defense and says, this you know what also was a great scene and this is Sarah Paulson killed it here too I loved it yeah and she basically says uh you know what she there's no way she killed Madison because she thought she was the next supreme because Madison wasn't the next supreme. I know this because the Supreme has perfect health and Madison had a heart murmur that she kind of kept secret. That was kind of cool. Dropping some knowledge on the council. Boom. It was. I kind of wish it was another reason that they'd found out she wasn't the Supreme because it seemed kind of stupid that she had a secret heart murmur. But, I mean, whatever. I think it it had the desired effect. Um, Also, clearly surprised Jessica, or um, it clearly surprised Fiona, who thought she was killing the next Supreme. Right. Surprised me, too. I mean, I thought we had gotten this huge twist that Madison was the actual Supreme. So now it kind of. Maybe maybe it is um, Zoe. Ultimately. Well, we debated this, like, who was maybe the next Supreme. We had a, a, someone write in that maybe they thought it was Misty who was the next Supreme, which I right. think is definitely a possibility. Um, it could be Zoe. Maybe it is Cordelia. Um, or, 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 like, Nan, which I think would actually be super cool. If it yeah. Is um, so Madison is not. Madison was not the Supreme, um, which surprises everybody. Fiona and Cordelia end up going out to drinks afterward and a little bit of a bonding Moment, because I think because Cordelia came to Fiona's defense. Yeah, I liked I liked that they're they're getting a moment where they can actually be friendly to each other and not at each other's throats. Right, and we see them kind of have this. uh, Basically, they're both a little drunk. At least Fiona is definitely, or sorry, Cordelia is definitely drunk, and they want to ask each other some honest questions. So Cordelia asks Fiona why she doesn't like Hank, and that's when she says that she thinks he's full of bullshit. Or reeks of bullshit, I believe, was the exact quote. And the second question is, did you really kill Madison? And, of course, she says no. So she lied about that. (laughs) Liar. Absolute liar. And then uh, Fiona, of course, the question she follows up with is, who's the next Supreme? She even jumps on Cordelia before she gets her question three in. Because, like, who should I kill next, basically, is is how I perceive that. Oh, I didn't see that. But it did. did. (laughs) Of course you didn't. Of course you didn't. (laughs) <laughs> but i do i do think that it is we're learning that cordelia is a hell of a lot smarter than uh fiona gave her credit gives her credit for and treats her um she's she may be trying to help the witches at miss Robichaux like train themselves and uh um and keep their powers in check but she's no dumb witch you know she she knows what's up that's true i agree but she won't um, reveal it no, she, does, she doesn't. She doesn't, she doesn't have it. time to reveal it because, because she's got to blow chunks. So she runs to the bathroom. She's puking in the toilet. Uh, kind of stumbles out of the stall, and we see this hooded figure in a black cloak come out and like throw acid in her eyes. Basically, is what it looked like. That's that I, I it. Was it. Too. So, couple questions for you right here. This this led to some more questions. So that was what I was going to say first. Do you think it was acid? That's um, I I figured it was acid, but you know the other thing I thought it could be like some potion. Okay, so that was yeah. So that was question one. Question two is this a creature that works for Marie Laveau? I don't know. I I don't know. I I don't. I I don't know. It could be. I'm trying to think of Laveau's motivations to go after Cordelia, though. Why would she choose her unless she thinks it would hurt uh, Fiona? But Fiona's already kind of. I mean, with the exception of this scene. It seems like Fiona doesn't care a ton about Cordelia. She does enough in a maternal way, but it's not, why not just go after Fiona? Yeah. You know, but maybe, felt- i maybe if so... I was say, maybe it's because she took care of the Minotaur, which belonged to Laveau, and Laveau's like, oh, right, I'm going to mess with uh, uh, your what you have, or what you own, which is your daughter, yeah. Right, I was inclined to think that this was not Marie Laveau's thing. That this is something different. The reason being, I kind of felt like Marie Laveau's revenge for the Minotaur was the bringing the zombie people back to life, which seems to be what she's kind of involved with. Again, we see her doing the spell and once again slaughtering the snakes and bringing kind of the dead back to life, um, who then um, are obviously coming to descend on. Uh, the girls and Madame Lalaurie back at the Miss um, Robichauxs, but I feel like she was so involved with that that we would have seen some sort of indication that this creature was directly related to Laveau. So I think that maybe they'll think it's Laveau, but I I kind of feel like it might be an outside force. Interesting. So that's a, that's that's a guess, but we'll see what happens. Um, back at Miss Robichauxs, Madame Lalaurie is giving candy to trick or treaters. <laughs> that was great. I love it. She's pissed that the kids are a little greedy ships. Yeah, the girls are upstairs. Like, uh, uh-uh, um, I will be handing these out now. Yeah, she's she's uh, modernizing pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. The girls are upstairs, uh, wanting or trying to think about or where Madison is. This, where Madison is, basically, whether they should go searching for her. Um, we do find out where she is. Mm-hmm. Um, Team in party. a very creepy scene. I thought this, this is one of the creepiest scenes we've seen so far, where Spaulding puts a bonnet on his head, he's setting up a tea party in his bedroom, goes he and pulls weirder, out this white weirder. lacy dress out of his closet, and he, Madison's body is sitting in a rocking chair with a wig on it and a scarf around its neck, sitting at his tea party table. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's going to put a dress on her, I guess, and she's going to be his his uh, Corpse yeah, doll. Maybe now. maybe he just has a thing for supreme witches in general, <laughs> or possible supreme witches. Maybe maybe I just don't know why he was, just has no friends. Why was he wearing a bonnet though? That was just that was weird. Yeah, we have no explanation for that. No explanation for that. Um, but kind of seeing how Madison's body is obviously still around, he didn't bury her or anything like that. Do you think that we'll see her come back to life? I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, come on, we've already, like, we had two of our main characters, or, uh, build characters, at least, die and come back to life in the first episode. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that we're not losing her as quickly. (laughs) Madison will be back. Um, but, knock, 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 trick-or-treat, here's three little ladies that want to trick-or-treat. First, it's the neighbor boy, um, coming to bring Nan some cookies, it's Patty LaPone's son. So he's going to, I'm assume, bear a bit of witness to some more magic going on over there. We'll kind of see what his role is. Um, he brought some cookies over for Nan. Maybe he's going to be Nan's boyfriend. Um, and, of course, there is knock-knock. It's zombies at the door. But it's not just any zombies. Which zombies are they? Uh, Laurie's daughters. Laurie's dead daughters. And she freaks out, slams the door. Um and we see zombies descending from everywhere on Robichaux's and that's like our cliffhanger basically amazing that's I can't it wait I wish it, I it wish totally, it was on tonight. totally a Walking Dead totally a Walking Dead scene right there yeah um so like you said very appropriate I hope that we're since we're continuing zombies that the same director did the next episode too because it was almost as if this episode felt felt like it's kind of two parts since yeah. we had such dramatic cliffhangers in this one definitely I'm gonna look and see who directs the next episode. <laughs> Okay, yeah, go ahead and look that up. But in the meantime, I mean, uh, overall impressions of the episode and your rating, please. Uh, Overall, this episode was kind of all over the place. Uh, But it moved the plot along really quickly. The pacing was fast. Um, We're jumping all the way up to this epic battle that's going to be happening. Um, It's just escalating the tension between the two witches' groups. So I think... And visually, again, the direction of, of all these uh, episodes so far has been fantastic. And this one, with the long hallway shots and the point-of-view dolly shots as we're traveling down a long hallway or a corridor, I loved that. Music was used great. Again, we didn't really talk about that too much, but it was great. Um, I'm get, I, I get, I'm tired of the Kyle and uh, Zoe storyline. I wish that would move along <laughs> or change. Because I think that... that this show excels when we have most of our cast together when everyone's off having their separate storylines there's always one that or two that are weaker than the other one or two so it brings down the whole episode but when everyone's kind of together like they were starting to congregate back in the house when they're being interviewed about madison's death or madison's disappearance uh i think it got a lot stronger so, but because it was kind of all over the place, I think I would give this an episode of three and a half Minotaurs. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Three and a half Minotaurs. Uh, bottom or top half of the Minotaur? Uh, which one's worth more? The top half. I, I'm inclined to say the top half because it's cooler. It's cooler, yeah. Um, the top half. Because, so like three and 3.75 really is what that makes it. Okay, okay. Um I actually am going to go the opposite way of you, and I think I liked this episode so far the best of the season, in my opinion. I'm going to tell Whoa. you why. Um, the reason being, I agree that I'm not particularly happy with the Kyle and Zoe storyline, but we hardly got any attention paid to that. They just gave it enough to let us know that um, Kyle ran away, basically. So I was glad we didn't pay that much attention to it. Instead, we got to pay attention to a lot more of these interesting storylines. We had um, some real great flashbacks we had uh fantastic in- um acting by francis conroy and kind of the the witch council and the whole interrogation scene which i thought was excellent and i love the flashbacks there i really enjoy getting more insight about spalding and what a creepy car- and interesting character he became and also kind of lonely you still feel kind of bad for him like the moment when he hugs the scarecrow outside where he's setting up um is in you, you know you don't know how you feel about that right the whole the whole hank plot now is like another a complete curveball we didn't see coming which is kind of bizarre but you kind of want to know what's going on there as well um and then of course you know we had the cliffhanger with the zombies and the Lori zombie daughters and with the acid in Cordelia's eyes i just thought and and then the writing was excellent we talked about some lines we really enjoyed too so I thought it was a great episode, well-directed, just overall very solid. Um, I want to give it a 4.5, I think. Whoa! Um, Whoa! I know. 4.5 with the bottom half of the Minotaur, just so that way we have a little bit of room for improvement still. But I thought that it was an excellent episode. I, I really enjoyed it. So that's what? four four and a half, Four and a half, three and a half, eight. What? <sighs> Oh, I guess yeah. Four, okay, because you you said four and three quarters. One point. It kind of be eight and a quarter. Eight eight, eight, eight and a quarter. Eight and a quarter. That's 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 (laughs) our highest uh, ranked one, right? Yeah, highest ranked one so far. Um, But all right, between you and me, Uh, yeah. So of course, in the preview for next week, we see we're going to find out what's going on with Cordelia's eyes. We get more of these. You know, we um, probably have the outcome of what happens when the zombies descend on. Um, Robichaux, yes, I'm assuming Robichel. that Fiona uses her power somehow to knock or knock him away, or, or the witches band together or something like that. And we see some sort of witch burning taking place too. And I was wondering who exactly they may be burning. Right. Yeah. So in a, like the desert or something like that. That looks cool. I have a few questions for you on this episode and things that may be answered later on for you. Okay. Sure. Does Cordelia know who the next Supreme Witch is? Fiona asks her. She doesn't answer because she doesn't have time. But does she know? She knew a little bit more about Madison than any of us did. She's an observant person, so she might... Or does she have an idea of who she thinks it is? I think she does know. I think she does know, but she doesn't want to tell Fiona because she doesn't trust her. Yeah, I like to think that she knows because that makes it a hell of a lot more interesting, too. Yeah. Because I would imagine she would protect that person, too. Right, agreed. Which maybe although, why she didn't want although, to. although, at the same time, she doesn't seem to be paying a whole lot of attention to where any of her girls are right now. She seems a little bit self involved. So, well, yeah, that's true. Uh, other question. Do you, are you starting to sympathize with uh, Lilari at all? Oh, God, you know. The writers are to. working overtime to do, make that happen. Oh, they really are. Um, between, you know, making her apologize, you know, um, Thank Queenie. Right. Uh And, you know, seeing her daughters at the front door and stuff like that. They want us to. I am not because I remember those opening scenes and I can just visualize her with that brush rubbing the blood all over her face. But, man, that was like 200 years ago. Uh, Yeah, and she should be in a coffin for 200 years more for that kind of twisted shit. (laughs) I think that she is a monster. Whoa! Um, there's, there's no way back... There's no road of redemption for her. There's... Okay. There's redemption for some things. Like, I don't know. If you were to, like, rob a bank because your family is poor and, like... Or something like that. I mean... I, there are crimes that there is a redemption for, but there's some things that are unforgivable. And I'm pretty sure having a dungeon of slave people, in my opinion, is pretty unforgivable. There's no path to redemption for that. What's What's your take? Uh, I think that they are going to redeem her in the end. I think she'll ultimately pay with her life, because that's the only way you can do that. Um, I mean, she already did pay with her whole family's life. Which was... I mean, I... I, I well, I don't want to say that's the right way to punish someone, but she's i mean she's already suffered a lot and she's coming she's come around from her ways she's not trying to like capture queenie and make her a slave uh person toy whatever so I, I think they will i think she will and i am starting to feel warmer towards her but obviously i remember what she did but this is what this was you know a long time ago <laughs> and she, and she's she's loving she's starting to like queenie and she thanked queenie and you know i don't know a lot of this laud goes to queenie for stepping up and being a big person in this situation Bad yeah i don't know um okay other question for you <laughs> what are you wearing for halloween um i when actually this is a, I, we went to new orleans Obviously, where the show takes place a few months ago and bought some sweet like masquerade masks cool um in New Orleans, so I actually wore that to a party on Saturday and I'll probably wear that again, yeah, tonight that's um, super Friday cool Mercury, and I'll do that again tomorrow's mm-hmm. probably... Ooh, that's a good one, too. Excellent. However, I think it would be amazing if someone dressed up as Myrtle Snow. That is the character to dress as in this show, hands down. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that uh, it would be kind of a quick turnaround to put that together after just watching last night. Right. But if someone can pull that off, you should send us a picture because that would be badass. That would be amazing. I would love that. <laughs> mm-hmm. If I saw Absolutely. someone dressed at, at at the party tonight or wherever, I would immediately run up to them. You're so cool, man. Oh, for sure. I love for that sure. show. And then they'd be like, uh, this isn't a costume. This is just how I dress. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you?
1: I'm Freddie the, Mercury. I'm the
0: famous podcaster. I'm Freddie Mercury. I'm a, pop- <laughs> I'm a podcaster. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Famous podcaster. Uh, anyway. Um, man. Good episode. <laughs> Uh, a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Um, can't wait for next week to kind of see where we're going on all these cliffhangers. As always, please rate us, review us, comment us on iTunes, This American Horror Story Podcast. Like us on Facebook at This American Horror Story Podcast. And email us with your questions and comments at This American Horror Story, pod, this American Horror Story at gmail.com. Chris, where can people find more uh, from you this week? Twitter at Chris Husted. What about you, Tyler? Twitter as well, at TJMoss11. I actually, um, I wrote an article yesterday about the, um... Yesterday was the 75th anniversary of the original War of the Worlds radio broadcast, where people thought that real Martians were invading. It was Orson Welles who did it over the radio. Right. And, right. Um, I actually interviewed somebody who listened to, or who um, was 19 at the time when it actually happened. And she was uh, at a restaurant, um, being a waitress, and totally freaked out. Everyone at the restaurant freaked out. So, wow. Cool. It, interesting story there. So, if you go check me out on Twitter, you can check out the story. Look it, it up, peeps please do alright All okay, everybody okay. happy Halloween and happy hauntings talk Bye. to you next week when I look out my window many sights to see and when I look in my window so many different people to be that it's strange Dream!